Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. Source limitations over the years uh, led to some early interpretations and conjecture that uh, became the established story, uh, sort of a legend of how things went down. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson talking about Ethan Allen's attack on Montreal. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the University of Pennsylvania Press, publishers of Captives of Liberty, Prisoners of War and the Politics of Vengeance in the American Revolution by T. Cole Jones, available wherever books are sold. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, we're joined by Journal of the American Revolution contributor Mark Anderson, as he reevaluates one of the early failures of Revolutionary War legend Ethan Allen, his invasion of Montreal. You know, one of the amazing things about the early invasions of Canada that we see in the American Revolution is just what a test of will it was. You know, they have mixed results at different times for different reasons. In today's case, we'll see Ethan Allen actually be captured. But even just getting to the attack into Canada required incredible endurance, wilderness survival, in many cases very low levels of food, uh, starvation, rampant, disease rampant. It was an incredible journey. Uh, So much so that the resulting victory or defeat is sometimes overshadowed just by the harrowing story. You'll hear all of that today. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Mark Anderson. Mark Anderson, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Brady. It's a pleasure to be able to talk to your audience today. Tell us about your background. So I have a longstanding interest in military history going back to my childhood, a gracious reader, and when family trips were planned, I'd break out a map to find museums and battlefields. So it wasn't uh, too surprising when I decided to become a history major for my undergraduate. Uh, Then I uh, joined the Air Force and spent a 22-year career flying fighters and later serving as a military planner. That sort of was my gateway into American Revolution history. I got a master's in military studies. And then when I had an assignment uh, planning some activities in Afghanistan and Iraq in 2006, I looked back into uh, some of my Revolutionary War studies and thought there might be a potential parallel with the 1775-1776 invasion of Canada. So I started with what I thought was going to be an article-length project. And then uh, as I kept digging deeper and deeper, I found I wasn't really happy with most of the sources on that campaign and ended up transforming it into my first book, uh, The Battle for the 14th Colony. And then I've spent the last 15 years delving into different aspects of the Canadian campaign in the American Revolution. What first drew your interest into this topic? 
So as I was working on uh, different book projects I've worked on over the years, I kept seeing that uh, there were intriguing sources that had more to tell about Ethan Allen's defeat in the Battle of Long Point that took place outside Montreal in September 1775. But in looking at bigger books with a much broader scope, I didn't really have the opportunity to, to go too deep into the sources or uh, uh, crack open new information on that topic. So as I hit a break in projects, decided that I'd go down the rabbit hole and do some article-length examinations of what exactly happened with Ethan Allen outside Montreal. What made Montreal an important point of interest for the Patriots? Uh, certainly. Um, the interest in Canada uh, as an entire colony uh, came about in the first Continental Congress before there were even any hostilities uh, as the Patriot uh, leaders in Philadelphia looked north uh, at the former French colony of New France, which was now part of the empire as the province of Quebec, as a political opportunity. I thought they uh, might be able to convince the French natives there, French Canadian natives, uh, who had fought against the British so long to join with them against the British ministry and show unity in British North America. And then once hostilities began, uh, there were military concerns in the North as well. Uh, back in the French colonial era during the colonial wars, uh, North, New England colonies in New York had experienced regular raids and even invasions from the North. So that was a realistic expectation. Montreal comes in because it was the closest city to the 13 colonies. And uh, in 1774 and 1775, there had been some indications of support. A committee of correspondence formed in Montreal. Um, and so it seemed like there was some promise there. But uh, the Montrealers uh, admitted that their support could be only limited uh, as long as they were under British government with uh, the British regular troops in and around Montreal. So there was a, a change after Ethan Allen and Benedict Arnold took Fort Ticonderoga in May, on May 10th. 1775, um, they continued to, to look north and had intelligence that uh, Canada was vulnerable. There were only two British regiments to de defend the entire colony. And so those two leaders floated uh, various plans uh, to take weakly defended Montreal while they had the opportunity. So a couple months later, when the Continental Congress uh, came around to authorizing an invasion of Canada, in late June 1775, uh, they enlisted uh, a frontier fort, uh, Fort St. John's, and Montreal as two specific objectives that an invading army should get. Could you give us some background information on Ethan Allen? Who was he? So Ethan Allen uh, is uh, often a legendary character. Um, born in Connecticut, he was a charismatic and enterprising uh, man. But he struggled to find his way uh, for many years until he set his sights on the frontier in an area known as the New Hampshire Grants, modern Vermont. Uh, this area was claimed by both New Hampshire and New England, and Allen and many of his fellow New Englanders uh, got land grants from New Hampshire. But uh, New Yorkers weren't happy with that. They felt they had a better claim. And so they tried to, uh, they, they made, uh, 
contesting claims and try to enforce their own authority. Uh, in response to this, uh, Ethan Allen really rose to the fore. Uh, he formed and led the, the Green Mountain Boys militia, and they used threats and intimidation tactics uh, to keep New Yorkers out of their uh, land claims and try to keep the region under their own control. In the process, Ethan Allen was branded an outlaw and had a price on his head uh, from New York, and that was pretty much the state as the revolution kicked off. And then after hostilities began at Lexington and Concord, Ethan Allen took that opportunity to uh, link the Green Mountain Boys cause with the growing revolution. And when Connecticut set their sights on taking Fort Ticonderoga, uh, which was a key point on the Lake Champlain uh, the River corridor that connects New York and Canada, uh, he brought the Green Mountain Boys in and took Fort Ticonderoga by surprise, uh, bringing Green Mountain Boys in as a key part of the revolution and uh, establishing a key role for himself. Why was Allen selected to attack Montreal? So, uh, ironically, Ethan Allen mostly fell into the plan rather than uh, being selected. Uh, There was a a plan already afoot, uh, but who exactly was involved in it and what its real goals were are a key element of the mysteries that I try to crack open in my article. Um, There were some uh, Northern Continental Army officers operating uh, beyond the direct command and control of the the generals in Canada, and they seem to have hatched a scheme. The details are still vague uh, to try to cross the St. Lawrence River and uh, take Montreal uh, by surprise was expected to be weakly defended and uh, pretty much just showing up in force would lead to the surrender of the city. Uh, there are some key players that uh, kind of create the background of how Allen ended up uh, outside Montreal. Uh, the area of operations in the beginning of the invasion um, was pretty much a triangle. And you got the Lake, Lake Champlain uh, flowing from south to north, and then it converts into the uh, Richelieu River, north of the Canadian border. And a key strong point there near the border was Fort St. John's. Um, and then from there, uh, there was a leg of a triangle that went about 20 miles west to the St. Lawrence opposite Montreal. And the Richelieu River uh, ran up north to the St. Lawrence River, farther north from that. Um, the main army set up a siege at Fort St. John's under, uh, led by Brigadier General Richard Montgomery. And that was where the, the bulk of the army uh, was focused for, for the first couple months of the invasion. But a key player was uh, Massachusetts Major John Brown, who had been intimately involved in scouting out Canada before the invasion. And then once the invasion began, he was sent past Fort St. John's with small continental detachments to cooperate with Canadian Patriot partisans that were operating in the rest of that area of operations. His key um, ally there was James Livingston, a Canadian partisan leader who had gathered hundreds of locals in a camp uh, 12 miles north of Fort St. John's and was trying to uh, help support the invasion and keep uh, cut British lines of communications. Ethan Allen came, comes in um, 
as a volunteer officer. Ironically, in the summer of 1775, when the Green Mountain Boys were going to be established as a Continental Regiment, the Green Mountain region township leaders decided not to select Ethan Allen as the commander of that new unit. So Ethan Allen was still eager to uh, contribute to the cause, uh, so he joined as a volunteer officer, and the Northern Army generals decided his skills would best be used in helping Canadians recruit more partisans uh, with uh, James Livingston. So he was out on one of those missions when he uh, ran into other Continental officers and was uh, brought into the plan to cross the St. Lawrence and try to take Montreal. What were some of the challenges that the Patriots faced when planning an invasion into Canada? Certainly. Um, Well, in contrast to the, the main Continental Army camped in the heart of New England outside Boston, the the separate Northern Army going into Canada was running a long-distance operation Uh, from the the nearest city, Albany, to just to the border at Fort St. John's was about 200 miles, and that relied on uh, several portages on the the waterways there uh, to get from Lake George to Lake Champlain and then up the Richelieu River in an area that was essentially unsettled uh, by colonists. the army assembled slowly. Uh, it was New England and New York troops sent north as they uh, became available. Um, and like the rest of the Continental Army, mostly uh, amateurs at the time. And uh, given the reliance on Lake Champlain and the Richelieu River, uh, watercraft were essential to get troops north and then supply them. There's also the question of local support. Um, the Canadians. Uh, had given indications that they would support an invasion, at least those who are communicating directly with uh, the Northern Army. But they wouldn't really know until they got into Canada. And then, uh, based on just the timing, the invasion wasn't authorized until late June. It took a couple months to get uh, forces together so that uh, the invasion began on the 5th of September, and then it only had two months, essentially, try to reach uh, their objectives at Fort St. John's and Montreal before winter really set in in Canada. Um, so it was a ch- uh, very challenging situation. Talk about Ethan Allen's surrender. Uh, certainly. Um, it's not really a focus of my articles, um, but uh, it is an interesting story in its own. Um, the best account we have comes from Ethan Allen himself. Uh, he talks about how he ran into other Continental officers, John Brown uh, being one of them, that persuaded him to join a plan that they had put together to cross the St. Lawrence onto the island of Montreal, where the city of Montreal is, and promised that uh, if Ethan Allen and one group crossed north of Montreal, this, uh, another group would cross south of Montreal, and then they would approach the city from two ends and hopefully uh, convince the city to surrender. Uh, on the night of the 24th to the 25th of September, Ethan Allen uh, gathered together 80 Canadians, uh, many of whom were unarmed, since they, it appears they didn't expect that there would be a fight for Montreal, and just 30 Americans. Um, and they crossed the St. Lawrence that night. The next morning, they expected to wake up and get news of the other promised force uh, landing south of Montreal but they didn't hear anything and found themselves alone on a 
British-held island. Uh, Montreal city was warned that this rebel force was north of the city, uh, so they gathered an ad hoc force of about 250 men, so twice of what Ethan Allen had, Canadian volunteers, British regulars, Indian department officers, and Indians, and they left the city to go face uh, the notorious Ethan Allen and his men that they deemed to be vagabonds. And they made the argument that the rebels were really just there to plunder and pillage the city, so helped uh, rally an unexpected level of uh, opposition to Ethan Allen. Uh, Allen saw that he was getting a fight that he wasn't necessarily prepared for, so he withdrew to a little community called Long Point, uh, where there was better defensible ground. Um, in that retreat, and as the first fighting started, many of his men fled. Um, so that he was down to 30 or 40 men at the end. Expecting no quarter, uh, Allen was willing to fight to the death uh, in a last stand. But finally, a uh, British officer persuaded him that they would accept his surrender, and he uh, handed his sword over to a Indian department officer, ending the fighting. Uh, as a result, there were a few more than 30 prisoners taken, and maybe one or two killed on Ethan Allen's side. And then from there, um, it's a famous, uh, legendary uh, captivity experience that Allen details in his own narrative in pretty good detail. What are some of the mysteries in your research that surround this event? Um, certainly. The, the biggest mystery is exactly how and why did Ethan Allen end up alone with his 110 men on the island of Montreal on that morning of the 25th of September. Um, what really was the plan? Who was really involved? And uh, what were what were the uh, exact details of when they were supposed to execute? Um, my The big area that I focus on is uh, the fact that there was a group of Canadian patriots, about 100 men, that eventually ended up assembling 25 miles north of Montreal in a rural parish uh, in an effort coordinated by a continental captain that had come to visit them. But they were all prepared to go take Montreal a day later than Ethan Allen was. So um, that really is a key element of the mystery of why are there, why are there these two groups that are apparently operating uh, a day apart and what they're planning to do. And then, uh, there's another mystery that I'm uh, looking at in another article about uh, who the men were that were fighting alongside Ethan Allen at Long Point. How did they end up joining him? And uh, in looking at that, it really flushes out how Ethan Allen ended up going from the Northern Army camp around Fort St. John's up the Richelieu River or down the Richelieu River to the north to end up opposite Montreal and leading his men across the river uh, to their defeat. What do the sources say? regarding this story? So that's one of the um, really challenging parts of this story, but uh, created the opportunity to, for me to add to the historiography on it. Uh, the key source that most uh, histories and biographies of the event or of Ethan Allen uh, rely on is a book that Ethan Allen himself wrote, uh, A Narrative of Colonel Ethan Allen's Captivity, that was published in 1779. It offers lots of details, um, but has some key gaps. And of course, there are, there are biases being written from Ethan Allen's own perspective. Um, the historiography is kind of split into two different camps uh, until now. 
those who buy Ethan Allen's story and believe that he was abandoned or betrayed by John Brown or others. And then there's the um, camp that was sort of the current immediately after Ethan Allen's captivity that Allen had probably decided that he was going to go it alone, operate uh, without support and try to take the city to reap all the glory himself. Um, There are other key sources, um, contemporary letters from General Richard Montgomery and James Livingston that sort of set the scene. Uh, A key piece is a last field report that Ethan Allen wrote on the 20th September, uh, five days before the battle, when he was on the northern Richelieu River. Um, And then there's kind of a gap as far as primary source documents go until we get to summaries and assessments after the fact by different continental officers and James Livingston. So there's a, a very interesting gap in that uh, time frame of what actually went down in the day or two right before the battle. What we don't have is any account from John Brown, the, the major who allegedly was going to uh, conduct a supporting effort. And we also don't have anything from uh mysterious continental captain that went to that uh, village 25 miles north of Montreal to organize a Canadian support effort. My uh, articles really focus on the other side, British reports, after action reports, in depositions taken by people who were in that uh, rural parish north of Montreal that were getting ready to support Ethan Allen, and then uh, key loyalist Canadians journal, and some priest memoirs that uh, really lay out how detailed that plan was to support Ethan Allen, but was a day late in its planning. How does this event help us understand the revolutionary era better? Well, I think one of the key things that I can take away from the article is uh, that source limitations over the years uh, led to some early interpretations and conjecture that uh, became established story, uh, sort of a legend of how things went down. Mark Anderson, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brady. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying... So long.